Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. Resilience is the capacity of people to effectively cope with, adjust, or recover from stress or adversity. In the convoluted chaos of life, resilience stands as a beacon of hope, illuminating the path of progress amidst hardships. It is a testament to human tenacity, reflecting our innate capability to recover from setbacks and to keep moving forward. According to the ADP Research Institute, only 19% of U.S. workers are highly resilient. However, when those same workers are placed in a position they love, resiliency increases to 28%. Joining us today is one stellar exemplification of resilience in action. Lamore Bergman-Gross, a seasoned tech professional currently living in Israel, discusses her perspective on managing resiliency regionally, personally, and professionally as disruption occurs around her daily. Grab a copy of my new book, Customer Transformation, a seven-stage strategy for customer alignment and business value. This is your essential guide for customer success in the digital age. Available now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or my website. And to support the show, Visit chrishood.com slash show, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, follow us on social media, or you can email me directly, show at chrishood.com. I'm Chris Hood, and let's get connected. Connecting. Access granted. It's the Chris Hood Digital Show, where global business and technology leaders meet to discuss strategy, innovation, and digital acceleration. Five, four, three, two, one. Your digital evolution starts now. Here's your host, Chris Hood. Welcome to the show. The more, would you mind introducing yourself? Yeah. Hi, Chris. Hi, everyone. My name is Limor Bergman-Gross. I live in Israel. Uh, this is like, uh, I don't know when this is going to be out, but uh, we're kind of uh, recording this three days after we have a war here. But it was important to me to come and speak up. Uh, I am an executive coach, mainly for women in tech leadership roles. My background is engineering leadership. I've done that for many years, both in Israel and the U.S. I'm married. I'm a mother of four. And thank you so much for having me here today, Chris. No, I appreciate it. The first thing I did was reach out to you and say, are we still on for today? Are you okay? Is everything well? But I think the main topic that we've talked about covering is resilience. And it's fitting, not only because of the situation that Israel is in right now, but People across the world are being challenged uh, with everything from losing their jobs to the economy to war. You're not the only country in war right now, and it's chaos. And to have you on right now, being positive and wanting to talk about this and bring awareness, I think tells the audience, tells me a lot about your character, how you look at resilience. Could you share a little bit where that's coming from? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in general, I have a very um, positive mindset, can-do attitude. And I always believe that everything that happens, I mean, I don't want to say that the war is a good thing, but anything that happens in your life, it is an opportunity to look at 
what can you gain out of it? It is an opportunity for growth. And resilience is, for me, being able to look beyond the crisis, be strong, be functional, and be able to move on. This goes to individuals, to countries, to everyone. And, and you see that. You see that with Ukraine. They are in horrific war for two years, and they are resilient nation because they, stand, they stay foot across a vicious enemy, and they fight for their lives. Yeah, the positive attitude, I think, is definitely one critical component. I was sharing when I left Google in January, all I could do was just wake up the next day and say, okay, now what am I going to work on? Turn that into a positive look and an outcome. When you are coaching and you specialize in coaching women, is that part of the mantra? Let's be positive. Let's continue to look at what the opportunity in front of you is. Absolutely, absolutely. And not just that, not just in crisis situations, but every challenge, small to big, that, that uh, people that I'm coaching face with, I always tell them, this is an opportunity. Think about even something like it's not a huge crisis. Let's say you are a manager, and I see that a lot. A lot of, a lot of women, but not just women, managers, have a lot of challenge facing any difficult situations, any conflicts. And every time they have a conflict, can be an employee that they, they find hard to face with, to their manager, to anything else, I always tell them, this is a growth opportunity for you. Let's look at it at that angle. Not just from the struggle, from the hardship, but what, how can you utilize that as an opportunity for growth? Yeah, totally agree. I often get asked the question, share a manager in your life that has had a positive impact. And I usually always turn that around. I say, well, look, I, I've had a lot of great managers and I've had a lot of really bad managers. And let me tell you about the growth that I've and things that I've learned from the very bad managers, <laughs> which I tend to learn a lot more from that because, okay, well, I don't want to treat people like that. I don't want to be that type of manager. So either it's good or bad, they're both learning opportunities. Absolutely. Yeah. And as leaders, we have the role to um, set an example, to give other people hope, to help other people become stronger. And, you know, I can share that in the workforce, I've seen many times, you know, executives fight over who is responsible for something bad that happens. And this is the wrong kind of leadership, right? Versus leaders who take responsibility and say, yes, we are responsible. We're going to get through this. If someone needs to pay the price, they will pay the price. But it's not the time to blame and accuse other people. This is the kind of leaders I want to see, both in companies, but also in countries, leading countries. That's a hard thing for <laughs> leaders to, to accept, right? There is this interesting comparison when we think about leaders in different areas of our life. You've got parents who are leaders, uh, religious leaders, presidents and country leaders. We've got business leaders. And when you start to break those down, 
on different levels, I do think that some are more accepting to say, yep, that's that's on me. I get it. But as we move up and we get to those presidents and international leaders, it is very, very rare for them to accept responsibility. I feel as if they did this more, they would get more respect. That's for sure. People want to see leaders taking responsibilities for their action. And that's how they gain the respect and appreciation. Not just for, you know, uh, v- you know having victories uh, and successes. People appreciate leaders taking responsibility, admitting failures. Now, is your philosophy the same? It's one thing when we are hit with chaos around us and and there's problems like war but that war came completely unexpectedly we are disrupted constantly in our lives with something of the unknown we don't anticipate it so we can't prepare for it but on the flip side we could say there are some skill sets there are some mindsets that we should have to be able to adapt when disruption happens. The COVID example is a, is another one. It came out of nowhere. All of a sudden, we're disrupted. A lot of companies and leaders were not prepared for it. How do we position that? Yeah, and COVID, I think, is a great example because uh, some companies could just shut off their businesses, right, and say, okay, we give up. Everything we know ceased to exist. Companies used to work certain ways, used to serve certain markets, used to do different things, and now they have to completely shift they had to so i think it's first realizing we are in crisis realizing okay it is a crisis we haven't anticipated it but after you realize it's a crisis maybe it takes you a day or two or three then you have to be strong and think about okay where are the opportunities what can i do with it how can i take advantage of the situation it's a bad situation but what can i do and, and you've seen companies, you know, I'm not talking about like everyone started working remote, and, but also shifting their businesses. You know, I, I used to, at that time in COVID, I used to consult to a company who used to do on-site events, okay? And uh, they shifted to do virtual only, you know, they shifted the business model Airbnb shifted their model back then, you know, before people even started to go uh, to Airbnbs to kind of, you know, uh, escape, they, they did experiences virtually. So how do you take the crisis and turn it into an opportunity for something else? And the same goes to when people lose their jobs. A lot of times, yes, it's a crisis. You, you may take it hard. It's okay to grieve. But then ask yourself, how is that an opportunity for me to maybe learn something new, maybe move to a, to a different place, maybe expand my skills, maybe to do something I always wanted, but never kind of decided to do. It's always an opportunity. I feel that there's a process in here, and I'm sure that it's different for everyone, right? We're all going to grieve differently, all going to adapt differently. But the basic process is something happens, we have to grieve we have to reflect, we have to have a retrospective, we have to learn, we have to move on. And in the case of Israel today, 
you know, it's so challenging because there's a desire, I think, to grieve right now, and yet you're still in the middle of it. It's almost like we can't grieve yet. And even that seems like a difficult proposition. Yeah, I mean, this is a, you know, extreme situation where you actually fight for your life, like right? I mean, for your country. So obviously in those situations, you don't have the time to stop and grieve or look for response, you know, in that case, you know, who is responsible for that? What went wrong? You don't have time for that. You have to really unite as a country and move on. And I can tell you, I was grieving, you know, Saturday and Sunday, I was just watching the news all day long. I was a shadow of myself. I I, I just couldn't function at all. I, I couldn't be a mother for my kids. I couldn't be a wife. I was devastated. I still am. I am still devastated. But I realized that I have to do something. I have to turn off the TV. I mean, I do watch TV. I cannot run away from, from this situation, but I try to kind of find the right kind of quantities of how much news I consume, find other ways to keep my mind. So I have my own podcast that I'm busy with. I have clients that I'm busy with. Some to do things actually to keep myself in some kind of routine. It's a different kind of routine, but keep some kind of routine. Otherwise, I'll be just sinking in grief and in how severe the situation is. It is severe. But for my sanity, I have to to do something else, to move on, to to try to keep some kind of sanity. You touched on being a shell, you know, being shocked, really, and not being able to be a mother. And yet, look, I I have three kids, and I remember times where, you know, I, I am just depressed or something is going on. And I have to just shift and I'm like, I've, I've got children here that I've got to figure out how to take care of. I've got to snap out of this and I've got to do it. I guess the only question I have is how are your children managing this individually and how are you helping them navigate some of these challenges that even we as adults are faced with? Uh, I think, in, so first of all, I mean, unfortunately in Israel, I mean, we are not just proportion. Uh, I live 95 kilometers from the Gaza border. It's not very far, but in Israel terms, it's out of, you know, we are not next to combat. We do have uh, occasionally sirens. Unfortunately, we're kind of used to them. It's it's crazy to say, but we are used to every few months, there is some kind of operation. We get some sirens, we go to the shelter. So my kids are kind of, in a way, it's crazy to say, but they're kind of used to it. The other thing is that there is a lot of transparency. Yes, we have a war. This is a terrible situation that we are in, but also be optimistic. We will survive. We will get through this. My son today, he's 16. He went to package food for soldiers. So keep them busy. My other kids, you know, may not want to get out of the house. They are afraid because, you know, there may be a siren. That's okay. Just be empathetic to everyone where they're at. Be confident, calm, you know, reassure that we'll get through that and just treat everyone with what they need. My, my older daughter was supposed to go to Vienna to represent her university. 
and she couldn't. Obviously, it was, you know, canceled. I, I think there are barely any flights going in and out of the country, maybe just, you know, to bring people back here that were stuck outside. And she started crying yesterday. She said, I, can, I cannot bear it. Not because of her trip, but because she was watching all the all the news and with social media, you see all those terrible... And told her, stop seeing that. It's not healthy to see all those horrific videos, you know, social media. Just stop. And my husband kind of talked to her, tried to play some music. So just for every person, just give them what they need. It's sad to think that anyone can get used to it or has to get used to it. But you touched on the last thing you said, give people what they need. And you discussed empathy and and you even said transparency in there. I think if we brought that back to leadership, again, that transparency and that empathy are critical for any business. And yet it seems to also be two traits that are often missing. Yeah, and uh, I truly believe in both being transparent and empathetic. And that's how I led when I was leading teams. Tell me a little bit more about your consulting and the work that you do specifically with women. Yeah, so being a woman myself and uh, uh, being a lot of times the only woman in the room, especially when you get to executive roles, uh, it's not that I felt mistreated or anything. Sometimes there are biases against me. I cannot say they weren't. Uh, But it wasn't easy for me. It wasn't easy for me as a woman, as a mother, as an immigrant, to be honest, in the U.S., because we lived nine years in the U.S. And I want to help other women that are facing similar, maybe different situations, help them with their confidence, with realizing that they can do much more than they think they can, to dare more, to be more daring, courageous, uh, a lot of times we try to be obedience. We try to do what we are told, not to overstep and not to cross any boundaries. And we shouldn't. You know, sometimes you can take initiatives, you can do more and be ambitious and grow. And that's what I'm trying to help women see. And I specialize in women in tech, especially, you know, in technical roles, because that's where I come from. I can relate, I can understand very quickly the situations and help them. There's a lot of organizations here in the United States that uh, support women in technology. Uh, one of my previous episodes was actually women in video games and specifically that space. When we think about bringing more women into technology, hiring is the starting point, but it, there's a broader issue at play here. Yeah, and we have to keep in mind that right now we are in a point in time, meaning, yes, economic situation is not great. A lot of companies are laying people off. I'm not working with women on the now and only on the now, but also we have to look into perspective and how we want the business to look like. My goal is to make an impact on this planet. That's why I do what I do and to have more women in executive roles in C-suite. That's how I want the world to see. To be honest, I want to see more women in politics also Um, because women need to be there. We need to have diversity. Um, and so, so yes, to your question, it's not just about hiring. It's only start with hiring. But actually, I'm trying to make an impact to, with women who are already there, how to help them break their inner barriers. That's my work. It's not the only thing, right? Companies need to also 
work on biases and help you know see those women and help them grow my work is on the you know with those women to help them when we start looking at the culture of an organization and often you, you just said it there's biases there that are preventing women from reaching that executive level how much of that work is directly at the women who are trying to get into the executive leadership role or has to be focused on the culture of the organization to remove the biases. So I always uh, I always try to work within the circle of control, like what you can control. So if I'm a woman, I'm mistreated, I would try to see what can I control. I can build allyship with, with stakeholders, build respect, sometimes bypass, you know, identify people who are all holding me back and try to bypass them, not step on them, but bypass, find allies, find sponsors and try to make change, influence change. When you cannot do that, just move on. But I always try to, you know, help those women be the trailblazers for others and for themselves and a lot of times it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes, you know, you're in a, you know, you can be in a culture that is uh, not supporting you and there's nothing you can do but to move on. But in, my, in many occasions, you can actually make a difference. And really, that's all we're trying to do is make a difference in the world. I also think that goes back to the empathy part. We talk about empathy when it relates to each other. We often talk about empathy in the concept of our customers. We rarely talk about empathy when we are thinking about our internal culture, our internal relationships between other employees, those cultural differences can make all the difference you know, in the world. And earlier we were talking a little bit uh, just about the ability to speak and transparency. It gets into the psychological safety of an organization, which I think also is rooted in empathy. All of these things are interconnected, which is why I feel like culture of any organization is going to be the one thing that you have to change in order to have these positive results that we're talking about. Absolutely. And, uh, and some of the women I'm working with, they try to make changes, right? They, they, they are involved in ERGs and, and different initiatives. I was, I was doing that as well. When I was uh, leading, I was doing above and beyond trying to make an impact. So absolutely, trying to make a change and impact, everyone can influence. We have the power to make changes, but again, also we need to realize that sometimes there, there are limits to what we can do. And we need to find the balance, you know, to, towards being, uh, making an impact to try to make a change to our well-being. Because <laughs> it can be a double-edged sword when you're fighting too much, you know, we're trying to make a change that can take a toll on your uh, mental health. So we always have to balance that, depending obviously on the company, on the culture, on what are the obstacles and so forth. We'll bring this back around. I think oftentimes people want to do something big to make an impact and to inspire that change. But in reality, sometimes it's small tasks that don't necessarily have the impact or the direct impact that we think they're going to have, but you have to start somewhere. So I reflect on your son taking meals to the soldiers. That's not going to really have any direct impact on the war, but it's going to have an impact on somebody. 
And whether that's a soldier that is getting a meal or whether that's your son who's going to get that impact. I think those small little things build up over time generates the positive momentum that we're looking for. Absolutely. Absolutely agree with you. You know, I uh, have my own podcast and I, and I post quite a lot on, on LinkedIn and uh, at times I, I feel like, okay, am I talking to no one, right? I mean, <laughs> sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm talking and no one is listening. But once in a while, I, I would uh, hear someone tell me, wow, I follow you, uh, keep doing that. So yes, we all make impact. Every small thing can make an impact on somebody. Every piece of uh, content you put, every source of inspiration, any kindness that you show to someone at work can be something really big to them. I appreciate it so much. I'm so glad that you were able to log in and that we had this opportunity to chat. Me too. Thank you so much, Chris. And of course, thanks to all of you who are listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform and leave a review. Your feedback helps us improve and grow. And if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for the show, you can connect with us throughout social media and online at Chris Hood Show. And please share this episode with your friends, family, colleagues, or anyone else looking to grow their business and start their own digital evolution. Until next week, take care and stay connected. Thank you.